Are we living in the reign of Christ? When did Christ's reign begin? How can you say God's kingdom is growing today? Everyone says we're in the end times. Are we living in the last days? No, we're not living in the last days. Welcome to The Last Days Are Behind Us, Our Best Days Are Ahead, an antidote for end-time viewpoints and a biblical proposal for a positive and victorious future. And now, here's your host, Jerry Tridle. Hello and welcome to The Last Days Are Behind Us, Our Best Days Are Ahead, which is the name of our book which we put together to make sure that you are not paralyzed with fear regarding the end times alarmists or the doomsayers, all right? The world is not going to be destroyed. Comets are not going to come and destroy the earth. And we're not going to be attacked by aliens from outer space. So with that, let's get back to a rational and a positive future view that we're going to derive from the scriptures as well as the church and over 2,000 years of church history that has brought to us the Word of God and has brought to us the deposit of faith so that we can know where we are now and where we're going. So as an antidote to all of that, we got to go back to the beginning. And let's, on this particular episode, let's look at what was what is called a biblical theology, where you look at how the concept of last days is actually developed from Genesis through the end of the Old Testament writings, which we'll say will be Malachi, all right, in your Old Testament. And so you'll uh, learn how the concept of last days came about and to whom was the concept of last days addressed so that you don't embrace that unnecessarily as, as a concept that is applicable today. Because we're not living in the last days. As you know, if you look at any part of this website, that's what the whole message is. The last days were the time period of the last days of the Old Covenant. And when the Old Covenant and the whole world, the heaven and earth to the Jew, which would have been Jerusalem, its temple, its moral, redemptive, and juridical laws, all of that whole system was wiped away in A.D. 70. That was the wrath of God upon the apostasy and infidelity of Old Testament Israel, but it was also the time of the great salvation of the church made up of the Jews first and then the Greeks, the pagans who came in as a result of the ministry of not only Christ, but most importantly and most in a fulfilling way through the apostles. So to understand that the last days they began with the ministry of Jesus and they ended with the destruction of Jerusalem. So now we're living in the kingdom of Christ and that kingdom is filling the earth. And then in our book, we answer the question, okay, so now what do we do? Well, that's why we live and humble ourselves to the word of God, plant ourselves in Christ's church, and we begin to bear fruit. We begin to work the earth, have dominion, be fruitful, marry, have as many children as God will give us and believe that God will sustain us and not just allow us to remain alive and be sustained, but to allow us to thrive and to build until all of Christ's enemies are made a footstool for his feet. And then the end will come when, as the Father said, all of Christ's enemies would be made a footstool for his feet. The righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit would fill the earth to the extent that nations would lay down their weapons and learn war no more 
as the prophets have said. That's not talking about heaven. That's talking about heaven on earth. And that's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. All right. So these particular um, podcasts, as well as these videos, are only going to be about 15 minutes, maybe 17 minutes long. So what we're going to do is just a real quick uh, summary of what we have in the book under our first of five tables. And that's where we look at how the term last days came about. So in the beginning, there was the cultural mandate. God told Adam in Genesis 1.28, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth or work it and have dominion. And he takes to himself a wife and he bears fruit with her. And we have Cain and Abel. And we have then the working the earth until the tempter comes and tempts Eve and then Adam and then eventually Adam falls. And in Adam's fall, fall we all, as the uh, Puritans uh, wrote in the old uh, McGuffey readers, as you learn how to read, uh, that was uh, presented in the 1700s. So with that, the fall of man, God didn't leave Adam without hope. And that's where we have then in Genesis 3:15 and 16, what is referred to as the Proto-Evangelium, the gospel beforehand, or the first gospel. And that is this, that the child, the seed of the woman, will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. So immediately, then every child born of promise, and that would begin with Seth, if you remember your Old Testament and some of your old Sunday school lessons, that you'll remember from that time on, there was the hope that the seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent. And then mankind was so wicked that God flooded the earth, except he saved one man, Noah, and his family. Eight souls were saved. And when the flood subsided, Noah was again affirmed in the message of the cultural mandate, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth, have dominion to the glory of God. And that continued until... In Babylon, there was a man by the name of Abram born, and God changed his name from Abram, which means high father, to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And God gave him a promise because of Abram's faith that his seed would be as the sand of the seashore. And so now every member of the uh, Abrahamic household, this covenant of grace cut again through the Abrahamic covenant, would have this hope that there would be uh, that his seed would would fill the earth and that uh, the seed that would come from his loins eventually would crush the seed of the serpent. So all of this hope was in the heart of the seed of Abraham. And then we come to God's meeting the children of Abraham's seed on Mount Sinai because Abraham begot Isaac and Isaac begot Jacob. And Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And Israel had 12 sons, one of whom was Judah. And it was prophesied that that son would have a king come from his loins and there would never be a scepter that would leave that particular line. And so when Moses comes about and meets God on Mount Sinai, we receive the entire heaven and earth to the Jew, the first covenant or the, that covenant that we call old covenant, but the first covenant that covered all things, redemption, ethics, the laws, the commandments, the temple, the tabernacle of God in which God would dwell, as far, and also the Levitical priesthood who would help to administer all of these 
wonderful things. And that would include the furniture, the table of showbread, the lampstands, and as we mentioned, the moral laws, the redemptive laws, and the juridical laws. And that was God's covenant people, and they were the children of Israel. And before Jacob died, he gathered his children together, his sons and, of course, their representatives, um, and he told them what would happen to them in the latter days. And we learn right then that from Judah, one of the sons of, of uh, Israel, would come a king. We learn later, as, as time goes on, there was a man named Jesse who had a son by the name of David. And then there became a covenant, call, a deeper cut of this covenant of grace. And this uh, was called the Davidic covenant. And um, David was told that from his loins, uh, would come one who would build a dwelling place for God. And of course, we know that is Solomon, the king. And all this was around uh, you know, the 10th century uh, BC, around 950 or so uh, BC. And so there was this belief that a king would come, and you tie all of that together, a king would come who would crush the head of the serpent, and that the numbers of the seed of Abraham would fill the earth as the sands cover the beach, uh, cover the seashore. And then we learn from Isaiah the prophet that this king would come, but when he comes, he would suffer and he would give his life as a ransom for many so that many could be justified. And then we find Isaiah continuing on and Jeremiah continuing on to prophesy that there would be a new covenant, a new testament uh, where um, the laws of God would not be written on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of the human heart, so that men would obey the heart, that there would be a filling of the earth of men, families, mankind, whose hearts would be changed by the Spirit of God, and that the law of God, the commands of God, would be their delight. We also hear um, in this Old Testament setting that there would come a prophet, a prophet and a king, and a priest, according to an order of Melchizedek, and that this individual um, would speak the words of God to the people. And if they heard those words and obeyed them, they would be blessed. And if they did not, they would be cursed and cut off. And we also had the promise from Isaiah of a new heavens and a new earth that would come with this king. So these were magnificent promises. And then, when, when Israel was uh, filled with infidelity and sinned against Yahweh God, God caused the nation of Babylon, head by, headed by uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, brought them into captivity in the year 586 BC, and the old temple that was built for the dwelling place of Yahweh God was destroyed on the uh, 1st of Tishri. And that was what many of the Israelites thought was the end of their whole heavens and earth. It was over. But Jeremiah said, no, it's not over. He said that you'll be in captivity, but go, marry, rejoice, because you're going to come out of that captivity. And then there was a prophet raised up while in captivity there whose name was Daniel. And Daniel spoke about things that would occur in the latter days for the people of Israel, for the children of Israel. And here's where the angel Gabriel came and told Daniel that 77-year cycles are determined for your people, Daniel, from the going forth out of captivity 
until the destruction of the city of Jerusalem. And of course, he's speaking of the days that would come of Jesus the Messiah. And we'll get into the whole Daniel 70 weeks on its own podcast and its own video coming up here uh, next. But suffice it to say that when it came to latter days or last days, and we see the prophet Joel saying that in the latter days, the Spirit of God would be poured out upon all flesh. And we know that this occurred on the day of Pentecost after Jesus' resurrection when the disciples and many who followed them were in an upper room. And you see this in Acts chapter 2. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you read that account... It was what was prophesied by the prophet Joel, and it was a sign. It was a sign that the gospel of the kingdom was going to be preached and that the end was near. So the question is, the end of what? And the answer is the end of the old covenant age. And you might recall when um, Jesus was uh, walking with his disciples in Jerusalem, the disciples looked around and They were admiring all the beautiful buildings and the temple structure and its buildings, which was really the rebuilt uh, temple during the days of Ezra. And uh, and then Herod added to it, enhanced it, and fixed it. So it was considered the second temple, the first temple being David or Solomon's temple, which was destroyed uh, in um, uh, 586 uh, B.C., and the Herod's temple would be destroyed in uh, on the first of Tishri in A.D. 70, as prophesied by Daniel. So the last days happened between the time of Jesus' ministry when it started in A.D. 26, and then they ended in A.D. 70, which is exactly the scope of Daniel's prophecy. And Daniel told uh, Daniel was told that. Um, There was only 77-year cycles or 490 years left for the people of God, and they would then be taken away. And that's all that occurred uh, during A.D. 70. So So the whole concept of last days or end times or latter days were always associated with the Old Covenant Israel, or Old Covenant Israel, or the age. So when Jesus' disciples said, uh, um, look at these beautiful temples, Jesus then replied, well, not one stone will be left upon another. To which the disciples replied, Lord, tell us when will these things be, and the sign of your coming, or the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and the end of the age. So even the disciples knew that the Old Testament world of Jerusalem, its temple, and all of that was nothing more than a temporary scaffolding that was going to stand until it would be taken down, torn away, shaken to the ground as Hebrews, you read that in Hebrews chapter 10, you read that in Hebrews chapter 12, that at the end of the Old Covenant age, the Old Covenant system, its sacrifices, its temple, its walls, its city of Jerusalem, all of it, destroyed, not one stone left upon another. And from that moment on, the kingdom of God began filling the earth extraordinarily to where within just 300 years, the entire Roman Empire had been exposed to Christianity and was nearly Christianized, at least in name, with uh, with many churches. And then as we move into the 5th, 6th, and 7th century, you see the power of Christianity and the power of the church and its influence go from there 
throughout the entire world. It's magnificent. And so we'll talk about all of that, and you can read all of it in detail in the book. But that's a little bit about how the whole concept of last days started. Jacob mentions it beginning in, in, uh, at the end of Genesis, in Genesis 49. Then you see the concept of last days spoken by Joel, by Daniel, and uh, a few others. And then you begin, you begin to put together the, the whole Old Testament tapestry, which was the whole heavens and earth to the Jew, which then was destroyed by fire, as St. Peter said in Second uh, Peter chapter 3, that that whole world to the Jew was burned to the ground. But God didn't leave them without a world. It was a world now that would be the kingdom of God, having come in Christ, that would begin to fill the earth as the waters cover the sea, as Christians... The seed of Christ, the seed of Abraham, who are of believing Abraham, would now be numbered in fulfillment to the Abrahamic covenant's promise that Abraham's seed would be numbered as the number of the granules of sand on the seashore. So that's what we look forward to. And Christ remains in the heavens until all of his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. Hope that was a contribution to your life. So... Now we reign, and just as the obelisk in the center of the Vatican Square says where the Christians used to be thrown to the lions during Nero's horrific persecution, it says this, Christus Regnant, Christus Vincent, Christus Imperiat. Christ reigns, Christ is conquering, Christ's kingdom rules over all. The Lord bless you, and thank you. You've been listening to The Last Days Are Behind Us, Our Best Days Are Ahead. Our website is justjerry.com. You can email us at jerry at justjerry.com. Our podcast episodes are on Buzzsprout, and you can check us on YouTube and Facebook, Blessed Days Ahead. Until next time, get out there and build and make your contributions in the world in faith, hope, and love. For these are not the last days and the end of the world. These are the days of the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. Find joy in them and be fruitful.